This is a Rooster Teeth production. On the night of February 24th, 1978, five men went out to attend a college basketball game for a night of fun, never to return home. Months later, four of them were found to have died under mysterious circumstances, while the fifth was never seen again. Sometimes referred to as the Dyatlov Pass Incident of the United States, today we're going to discuss the puzzling case of the Yuba County Five. This is Red Web. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another Mystery Monday. I'm Trevor Collins. With me, as always, Alfredo Diaz. Hello, hello. We got a, a fascinating one on our hands. Going back into a wintry, missing uh, five folk case. Yeah, winter's coming, so we're setting the mood. Winter is coming. Yeah. Yeah, this case, as I, as I mentioned in the uh, the kind of hook there, has been referred to as the Dyatlov Pass incident because of the mysterious circumstances surrounding it, but also the fact that this location where this all kind of went down was in the mountainous regions during winter. Um, and there's a lot of just a lot of question marks with this case. It'd be very interesting because I mean, Dyatlov Pass was one of my favorite episodes that we've mm -hmm. ever done. And it's a favorite for a lot of the task force members mm -hmm. as well. So it'd be cool to see what things line up because Dyatlov Pass right. had a lot of like, why was that person like burnt mm -hmm. only on one side? Um, it was a lot of weird situations where it felt like different areas had different things going on. Right. So for this situation, if it's, you know, the United States version. Right. Because, you know, U.S. has to have a version of everything. We are. Everyone's <laughs> got to have, like, you know, your baseline mysteries that you compare everything to, right? Um, but it'd be cool to see, like, what weird zany things happen or yeah. could possibly happen. Um is it five basketball players? So this is, yes, this is five, uh, you know, young adults. Yeah. Uh, varying ages. I'll outline each of them here, but they were definitely sports enthusiasts. They liked to watch the games. They were part of their own team, like a community team. Um, That's awesome. And I'll, I'll kind of pull that part apart. Uh, you know, I'll go through all of uh, the group, which has been dubbed the boys by their parents. The boys, yeah. And then I'll talk about how they went missing, how that case kind of unfolded, and moving on into the kind of discovery phase where certain things were discovered, whether it be, you know, various evidences, various people, bodies, uh, to kind of, you know, get you uh, titillated a little bit. But then we're going to go into the theories, right, as we always do. And the theories on this one aren't aren't as wild, I think, as the Dyatlov Pass incident, okay. because I think it's more the circumstances and the the number of unknowns and also obviously the, right. the kind of the placing of the unknowns is, is really what draws the comparison mm -hmm. to Dyatlov. There's definitely a lot of curiosity. So I'll be curious to see your take on that analogy yeah. um, as we kind of unfold this case a little bit. I mean, missing person cases. I mean, a lot of stuff that we talk about is quite unfortunate. You'd never wish that upon anybody. Of course. Um, you know, a single person going missing is obviously very interesting. You see it in the news and it, it sometimes becomes like a, a whole televised thing. Um, a group of people that just multiplies that interest. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, tenfold because of the fact that it's just this. It, it was a group of people, right? Yep. Like you have different individuals, different personalities, different mm -hmm. strengths and weaknesses. Of course. Um, going missing altogether. And so... 
Yeah, I'm very interested to see if there was like any situations where someone could have broken off or a certain body wasn't yeah. found, etc. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe we found three bodies, not the other two. So where would that could that have gone to, etc. Right. So like already my mind is racing differently mm -hmm. than it is if it was just one person missing. Yeah. I mean, this case is very interesting and, I, and I'll kind of get in there pretty soon when we start outlining the characteristics of each of these individuals. But I do want to say like, Within this case, it is quite, uh, there are some serious matters, I guess, or things that I don't want to be flippant about, right? And that would especially surround the individuals, like, again, I'll outline soon. Um, so this this episode, I don't think is going to be so super heavy serious, but, you know, we like to bring levity to a lot of the cases. Right. Uh, this one, though, there's a lot of information to get through. We might not have as many uh pieces of levity it's my it mostly might focus i think on the curiosities and the 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 tone of this kind right. of mystery yeah. rather than the lots the of jests details. we tend to bring yeah um, i mean sometimes we have mysteries that are a little bit light and so mm -hmm. that allows us to kind of just ramble and yeah because we you know now that we're in person we love doing it and looks we, back to last week at atlantis <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> some buff scientists <laughs> some buff scientists <laughs> Oh, man. Um, but yeah, you know, everyone, you know, there's also the flip side of it where we have episodes and mysteries that are very dense. And mm -hmm. this is one of those. Yeah. Uh, before we dive into it, too, uh, I normally save this kind of stuff for the middle roll and the end. But I do want to say if you want to support this show directly, and you want to hear this show 24 hours early without those ad reads in the middle. You can do so by becoming a first member by getting that Rooster Teeth app or going to the website. We have a premium RSS feed that allows you to download this show a whole day early. So if you don't want to wait till that early wee hours of the morning on Monday, you oh, want yeah. to get it on Sunday, you can definitely do that. And uh, and everyone that does that, that gets attributed to this show. Um, so it does go support us directly. Obviously, we have merch and everything like that at store.roosterteeth.com. But just want to give our ourselves a little plug. Yeah, I mean, Red all Web, our number, our number one sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you, you hear it a lot with a lot of different media that you take in, and so obviously you become, so, you know, desensitized to it mm -hmm. in many ways. But I mean, it's true, you know, like you know, sure, you and I, we do Red Web, which is a part of like you know Rooster Teeth, but we also do like Achievement Hunter, which is our main bread and butter. But Red Web is our own like little passion side project, and mm -hmm. so. When you guys do support us with merch and suit up, you know, uh, to be a part of the task force or, you know, support us first wise, like that shows and that allows us to keep doing right. this show and then also do crazy things like go on site. And out that I'll leave that there. <laughs> like our Halloween special. <laughs> like our Halloween special or Man. just, yeah. Yeah. We also, and I just, um, some more um, just kind of. Red Web sponsorship stuff. <laughs> we we also did like a behind the scenes kind of directors and cast commentary of that special that we uploaded to our YouTube channel and the website at roosterteeth.com. But um, within that, we started talking about all sorts of ideas with the chat who was watching live with us um, about what we could do if we do go on location a little bit more, yeah. whether it be to haunted destinations again or cryptid hunting yeah. or even just exploring some of the treasure hunts that we've talked about and having you as our guy in the chair and and getting you a bunch of like spotlights to make sure that <laughs> no matter how deep in the night we were that it was always daytime where you were stuff like that. I don't know if that's good or bad. Be a giant <laughs> a, beacon, a, beacon of, <laughs> a beacon of bait. Yo, you see Mothman batting away at your lights just like <laughs> Oh yeah, it is real. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the interesting we talk, things that we discussed us with you know the audience and with the task force was that like oh you know 
if we did tackle cryptids, like maybe we grab, you know, like a skilled tracker or a hunter. Ooh, so even let if, them tackle the cryptid, yeah, and, literally. <laughs> and then let them, you know, just kind of guide us yeah. through like these mm-hmm. these places and locations and whatnot. Professional meat shield. Let's put that down, yeah. Christian. Put oh, that down. I like that. The task force notebook. That's really <laughs> the job posting's going up. <laughs> oh, good. man. I also want to mention, too, before we dive in, that this case is is dense with information. So we want to make sure that when we do this, it is intentional, purposeful, everything like that. So what we're going to do is probably split this into two parts. Part one containing a lot of the information as to what went down with the missing five, how they got there, what some of the early investigation looks like. And then part two will really start to dive into some of the theories because there's going to be a lot of discussion as to what we personally think might have gone down. There's a lot of open ends here, um, but there are two major theories that have a lot of extra information there. So look forward to next week in part two where we really dive into the theories. But in in the meantime, you can always hit us up if you have your own theories prior to getting there. Uh, We would love to hear from you at RedWebPod or uh, RedWeb at RoosterTeeth.com. But with that said, let's, uh, let's dive into this one. So this tale begins in 1978, the night of February 24th. We have the group of five men from around Yuba County, California. They were supposedly attending a college basketball game that night at California State University, Chico. Their team, these five gentlemen, were on their own team named the Gateway Gators. They were going to play their own game early in the morning the following day back at home, you know, in Yuba County. Now their team... It's worth mentioning, they were an extracurricular activity group through the Gateway Center, which was a program that was designed to support people with disabilities at achieving their goals. All of these men lived with their parents who knew them collectively, as I mentioned, as the boys. And they hung out together very often, usually playing or watching sports, and were considered inseparable, which I think is very important for the basis of this mystery. Let's talk about the five individuals now. There was 30-year-old Jack Madruga, an army veteran who drove them usually to the game or to anywhere that they were going. He was the driver of the group, and he drove his prized turquoise 1969 Mercury Montego. Then we have 32-year-old Ted Weher, who was the oldest of the group. We have 24-year-old Jack Hewitt, who was best friends with Ted. We have 24-year-old Bill Sterling, who was Madruga's best friend. And all of the group, these four that I've talked about so far, it's worth noting had learning and or cognitive disabilities, except for the fifth member, who is 25-year-old Gary Mathias. He was a veteran who was discharged from the military after his diagnosis of schizophrenia. So this is why I wanted to mention that there is a bit of a serious tone mm. here because I don't want to be flippant with yeah. their, their mental conditions and various disabilities that they were working with. But this is important to the case because it could be one of the reasons, one of the many bases for the unknown in this case there's a lot of strange things that are kind of kind of come up or don't come up throughout this mystery and this could be a realistic basis for some of that you know yeah i mean these are you know definitely like uh serious illnesses and and it's it's very unfortunate um but that in in my mind just to be real does spill into the the world of you know especially if someone one of them having schizophrenia Mm -hmm. spills into the world of you know, going out into the woods, that's already could be possibly terrifying. And, and even to, to someone who, like myself, right? I started to myself to be, okay, you know, have it all together, have all peace stuff. I'm, you put me in the woods, I'm already just like, right. ooh, okay, it's dark out here. I'm hearing right. noises, you know, branches crack and, and all kinds of things. And that, that could just 
play with my mind. Exactly. And, and so he has someone who who's dealing with schizophrenia. Um, it could just exacerbate that, could be a, that, you know? a very difficult situation to put right. someone into. And this is a group that is very, like the parents said, they're inseparable. They're very yeah. tight, so they have a lot of trust in each other. And so what could easily happen in a situation like this is if something, if something comes up, someone's dealing with something, or they see something, or one of them does, right? The whole group is going to kind of support each other with that. Yeah. And it could end up spiraling in a way, right? And that could be what happened here. But let's kind of continue detailing what happened. So Madruga was the one who was driving and he drove them 50 miles north of their hometown to Chico in order to attend that game that night. The group was very excited for their own game the next day to the point where they had laid out their jerseys for the next morning. Again, these boys were very into sports, college sports in particular, not only consuming, but also playing as a part of their own team. And what's more, when it comes to their game the following day, they were actually going to be playing their first game in a tournament that would be for the Special Olympics, and the winner would get a week-long paid vacation to Los Angeles. So, of course, they're buzzing. This yeah. is like, not only is this their passion, but this is for something really big for them. Right. And their favorite team, it's worth mentioning, was UC Davis. They had won the okay. game that night, and they, if they were at the game, would have left around 10 p.m. that local time in order to head back home. All right. So this is starting to give you a, a, an idea of the time frame that we're working with. Interesting. Okay. All right. I had friends, like close friends, uh, that went to high school with that went to UC Davis. Yeah, because that's so actually was, near Sacramento, right? Yeah. 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 And, so, and near, which is near SF. Yeah. So I had I had friends that like went there. I actually like one of one of my friends. I went like close friends. I went to a wedding with. He. That's where he met his now wife. That's wild. So I was just like, okay, you said you see Davis. I'm like, all right, yeah. I'm starting to like picture out distances yeah. and stuff like that of like how far things are from where right. I was. So what's more, when it comes to this particular evening, or at least as far as we are, can factually confirm, right? They celebrated their team's win by stopping at a gas station named Bears Market. They got some snacks before driving back home to Yuba County. We can confirm this because the cashier remembered them that night. He was closing up the shop when the five men showed up. And so it kind of made for a more memorable moment, right? Yeah. It's, it's interrupting the flow of closing. So you just, it just kind of sticks yeah. in your brain. Now, this may have been the last person to see these five men alive. Oh, damn. It really kicks off. Yeah. Now, flashing forward a few hours, when their sons didn't come home that night after the game, the parents were concerned and some stayed up all night waiting for them. This is when really the, the case starts to spiral out because this was very unlike the, the boys to stay out this late. In fact, Hewitt in particular reportedly did not like staying out very late, especially away from home and especially overnight. This was just something that uh, was, was not comfortable with him. And so it was very out of their nature as a group to not come back home, to not reach out to their parents and to, to kind of be off the plan as it were. This is one of those situations, and I mentioned this a couple times in previous episodes, where it's uh, a terrible situation, but a, a good situation in a way, because of that sense of like, you're not sitting here saying, this is something that they do, they go, they do overnight stuff, they hang out, it's like automatically your mind go, okay, something's wrong, this isn't the norm, like this isn't what they do, and I have reason to be alarmed and, mm -hmm. and start trying, especially like in missing missing person cases. Was it 24, 48 hours? Right. Like the, um, the sooner 48, 48 yeah, right? Yeah. Until like the trail goes really cold and the chances of finding that person the, drastically drops. Yes, you're right. So in a missing person's case, time is everything. And so it's unfortunate that it's like, okay, 
this isn't what they do. But at the same time, it's like, okay, I know this isn't what they do. So I could start making moves and start being alarmed. Right away. And, right. Yeah. Like this immediately, is immediately out of character. Yeah, for sure. And so in a way, Get like on that trail as fast as possible. Right. So in a way, yes, that's like a really good piece to, to kind of know is that they're out of character. This is not normal. You can jump on the case. But obviously the fact that we're talking about it doesn't bode super well for the ultimate result, right? But yeah. ultimately, as you mentioned, the parents noticed this. They mm -hmm. called the police almost immediately and reported them missing. And in the morning, the Gateway Gators had missed their basketball game. So, of course, this is this is serious. Even if you, yeah. you would have thought maybe they spent the night somewhere and they just didn't let anyone know. Yep. The That's fact that they know. missed the game, yep. like this is, this is their thing. This is the yeah. thing that they love the most, right? So Butte and Yuba County police began searching for them along the route that they were supposed to have driven in order to get to Chico, which would be Highway 99 and 70, but they found no trace of them besides uh, what the cashier had said at the stop. The very next day, February 25th, there was a park ranger for Plumas National Park who discovered a turquoise Mercury Montego on a dirt road along the Oroville-Quincy Highway, 70 miles, 113 kilometers from Chico. So quite a distance away, right? Yeah. It was stopped at the snow line, basically where the snow plow had cleared the road and you know where the snow ends and the road begins where it was clear that's where the car had ended or kind of stopped and the road had recently been cleared on february 23rd and this road was at an elevation of 4500 feet near rogers cow campground just to really give you an idea of where this is at how high up we are how cold it's going to be and they were near a campground too though near so it wasn't just like i mean Granted, it's campgrounds are still kind of in the middle of nowhere, sure. but you're not like just stopping on the side of the road and wandering into like this big, huge national 100%. forest. Right. But because of the car's great condition, right? Remember, Jack Madruga, who owned it, took great pride in his car. So it was in great condition. And because of that reason, the park ranger didn't really think anything was wrong. Just thought maybe this was a car that was parked there and didn't report it to the police because he had no reason to under those circumstances, right? Yeah. Until he later found out about the missing five men on February 28th. So it's really unfortunate that he wasn't aware and from his perspective, he had no reason to really call it in. Yeah, especially because it's near a campsite. So I would just think that like, oh, they're just setting up or right. they're meeting there or it has anything, anything to do with just the campsite. It's right. very like normal. Well, also the fact that just a few days prior, in fact, maybe like just a day prior, if you really think about it, the, the road was cleared and the car is parked along the, just at the edge of that clearing. And so you want to say that like, oh, well, this is a freshly parked car, great condition, uh, nothing yeah. seems awry. Um, Hasn't been like noted snowed it. on uh, exactly. like heavily or anything like mm -hmm. that, I would, I would think. Yeah, so, so, yeah. so I guess like he's not really thinking anything nefarious is down, but yeah. Kind of, let's talk about like this car being here though, because this is not at all along the route that would take them from the game that they were at back home. This is a very strange place for this car to be and I'll kind of outline why. But for some reason, instead of driving back home, the group took the highway east into the mountainous and snowy forest of Plumas National Park. Again, just to give you an idea, if you're not local to California, Yuba City was still further south than where they were. So they kind of started going east prior to even getting into the region of their home area. There's a lot of weird factors here. Yeah. Um, so like the fact that, okay, they had something to do in the morning, right? That mm -hmm. was very important to all of them. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like, a, oh, it's whatever. We got, we got no obligations tomorrow. Let's go. Let's go hang out. No, they had stuff to do. Right. Um, like big stuff. Yeah, but like big things. Uh, 
And then on top of everything, like the weather as well. So it's not like it's a beautiful, sunny, or like just chill night. Like yeah. it's freezing temperatures out there. It's, it's dark. It's freezing. It's dark and snowing. You're off on a different direction. And so like that's, you don't just get out at a campsite or near a campsite and just start setting up like as an impromptu thing like you have to actually plan that out right so that's also like another weird factor like that was a very like conscious decision to go that direction and stop there right yeah. it wasn't just like a spawn it didn't it doesn't feel something spontaneous to me right at all given given like everything we know about these individuals given the like the parents understanding of their their habits i mean the parents know them the best right and the, this is vastly out of character despite everything that like they've done together this just is so strange to see them so off the beaten path and beyond that i mean it gets even stranger still because not only did they kind of veer off the expected path out east up into the mountainous terrain, the road ended, yet they continued driving along the dirt road. So now we got a rocky, dirty road that's like rough terrain, especially for yeah. someone who takes pride in their Montego. And eventually what they think happened was the Montego got stuck in a snowbank. I say they, they believe that because it was kind of just kind of parked there. There was heavy yeah. snow. Eventually that snow had melted. So it kind of looked like a car was just kind of parked there. Just feels like very deliberate decisions were made. Mm -hmm. um, and if anything, too, you think like, okay, what if the driver decided to take them on a route that they didn't want to go to or something like that or force this upon them? But mm -hmm. you think there's four versus one person that's driving. Like, how do you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, Say if there was that type of situation where it's like, we're going to go here and, you know, people didn't want to do it. Then it became this really weird, awkward, like hostage type situation. Then one person couldn't really hold all four of them right. hostage. So then basically it, they were all uniform. In it this feels decision. like it have to be a uniform, deliberate decision to yeah. go way out of the way to do something like this. Do we know if there was any type of snow equipment that they had? No, they not that I, that I'm aware of because when it came down to the clothing that they left home with, nothing else in a bag or in the trunk or anything, they weren't prepared for the weather. They weren't dressed for outdoors weather that night. I.e., they weren't wearing warm enough clothes. So yeah. really, there was no built-in plan. Yeah. So there was no like, hey, we could pivot to this. Right. So to me, I'm like, huh. if I were to fire off the cuff like a little micro theory, like. Maybe because their favorite team won that night and they had this big game coming up. They wanted to pull over for some snacks and they said, you know what? Maybe they'll do a little celebration sort of situation. And uh, maybe, and, and this Way again, I'm course. totally making assumptions and building a narrative that yeah. is just, I'm just theorizing, right? I'm being wild. But maybe one of them or a couple of them were like, hey, let's go up this path. Like, I know this road or I know this campground. We'll do a little celebration, then go home, and and it just kind of went wrong from there. But it, it seems so way off the path. Though. Very off the path. So like, I don't know. I feel like you could just celebrate at a Denny's or something. <laughs> I feel like you could celebrate at home, dude. <laughs> right? Like, it's <laughs> snowing, man. Like y'all don't have proper equipment for that. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. That's really weird. Right. And again, I have to reiterate, like this is out of character for these individuals. This is. It's very strange, for sure. And so we can only hypothesize uh, as to the reasoning behind this. And again, we'll get there in the theories and we'll outline those theories a little bit deeper. But, but yeah, this is what really starts to open up the case and make it very strange. Furthermore, when, we, when you look at the condition of the car that was left 
It didn't seem that they tried to push it out of the snow to get it unstuck for whatever reason. Um, th there were snacks, wrappers left behind in the car. The driver's window was actually down for some reason, which that really just raises some questions. Like, were they talking to somebody? Did they roll it down to cool down? Like, what what kind of reason behind that would, would be left? And also, with this rocky terrain, you would expect such a low-riding car to take at least some moderate damage, right? Not because one was careless, but because of just the terrain. This car was not made for this kind of terrain. But yeah. the car was left in great condition, in immaculate condition, considering the terrain, the low-riding, whatever. So... It's just very strange all around. How many people does this car seat? I'm sure you could probably squeeze in six if it was two benches. Or if like my old caddy from the 90s could like lift up the armrest in the middle up front, you could sit another person. But probably five was a little a little tight. Yeah, just things crossing my mind of like, you know, what if they, if they like, I don't know, the vehicle was hijacked with them inside of it, but then... If it's tight with five, then you throw six, six person in there, the fifth, then one of the boys would have to like cram in. And then you're also going in through this terrain where it's not built for it. So mm -hmm. it would lower the car with all the weight. So you'd get some scraping. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, my, yeah. Wheels no, that's, are just turning in different directions. It's a really right great now. thought. I honestly hadn't thought about that because now if we kind of go again, we can only at this point at least extrapolate yeah. from theories. So this is all built out of our, the fascinations of our mind, but if somebody did kind of take control of the car, some other sixth party, and they're driving this thing, and they and for whatever reason they want to take these these men out into the woods, you wouldn't think that they would drive so carefully as to not damage the car, especially like you're saying with the weight of a, an extra person really bringing down the shocks, yeah, and lo, like riding a little it'd lower. Be, it'd be difficult. So yeah, I mean that's that's really interesting, but. And then you start to wonder, well, okay, maybe maybe they were going out, and despite being stuck in the snow, maybe it was a car problem, right? Well, the police thought about that as well. They actually got into the vehicle and hotwired it. It turned on immediately, which means, and it showed that it had a quarter tank of gas, which means that very likely there wasn't car issues in particular. They didn't run out of gas. It didn't, yeah. So it was probably that they either got out voluntarily or, as theory stands, they were probably stuck in snow that had subsequently melted. That's good to know. Or it's just like they didn't just make the decision to drive down there and then got stuck because of the vehicle. The vehicle works. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. that's definitely one of the things to check. But the good news, at least at this point in the timeline, is that the police were aware very quickly. And now it might be a few days on, but they know where this car is. So they can now start to look at this location. Uh, they got quite a search party going to traverse this national park area. The search group included forest rangers and 50 men, many with snowmobiles, including Jack Hewitt's father. So someone, you know, obviously even more invested in this situation. However, due to heavy snow and harsh winter conditions, even some of the searches themselves almost got lost. So this kind of just really illustrates the situation the dire situation yeah sets in. the scene of like the severe weather again so they're like why would they do that you know what i'm saying or just like you're not prepared for this this is right. a very deliberate decision you don't just go all right let's just walk out in our pants and shorts into the woods. No shirt, just pants and shorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's tough. And this is why, and here, I'll just address it head on. Like, this is why I didn't want to be flippant with, you know, the group's 
cognitive disabilities because I'm very sensitive to that. I have family members myself who align very much with some of the cognitive disabilities outlined by these five men. And and so, you know, it, with, with ignorance, one might say, well, it's because of that. But it, it's way too flippant to kind of just point to that, especially yeah. when these men have varying degrees of cognitive disability. And uh, to the, I mean, like, for example, Jack Madruga is able to get licensed and drive, yeah, I was about to which, say. you know, a family member of mine is in a very similar situation, isn't, but can still work. So, like, again, there's varying levels yeah. of cognitive ability here. And to point to that as the only reason is different is very difficult, especially when the parents themselves are saying, listen, this is very abnormal, especially for right. this group of five. And so, again, I want to I want to be very careful with all that. I want to be very respectful of all that. But again, you know. One might want to point to that as yep. as a you know an instinct, but I, I want to outline that in particular that I don't think you can just do that. Yeah, no, I mean it makes sense because I was I'm glad you pointed out because I was about to say like one is capable of having a license of driving, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. and they're able to go out and at least you know like function you know during the evening, day, whatnot, and know where they want to go, what they want to do. Right. I mean they're playing an organized sport too as well, like. So yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, cognitive disabilities, just, just to really kind of take this one home, like they come in all forms, shapes, sizes, and there's a lot of misunderstanding around them. And that's why I, I, I you know, I wanted to be careful with this episode and I, you know, I want to be respectful of yeah, that. Definitely. But I also want to bring kind of some attention to this topic in that they do come in all shapes, sizes, forms, etc. So anyway, I don't want to, you know, you can't, you can't uh, kind of pigeonhole a cognitive disability into one form or the other. And that's why I wouldn't want that to be the scapegoat for what happened here. It is absolutely a variable, something that is needed to be understood yeah. as to why and how maybe this unfolded. But again, not the reason. Yeah. But anyway, I digress. Let's talk a little bit more about like the search party a little bit because we have harsh wet winter conditions. Uh, the searchers themselves almost getting lost. We have helicopters in play, really flying over this area, trying to find these five, but they could not. And eventually, as unfortunate as it is, the investigators had to call the search off on March 9th until the snow had subsided and melted away to make this a little safer and a little bit more tenable, right? The parents, however, did not give up their search. They raised $2,600 for a reward for any information on their sons, and they even reached out to psychics. They wanted to explore every avenue with which yeah. they could find their kids. Now, at this point in time, we have the story of the missing Yuba County Five spreading. Obviously, mysteries like this spread like wildfire, and people started coming forward to the police claiming that they had seen them. And this kind of opens up the next chapter of this case, which is sightings from various people interesting it's just so tricky because you you're throwing money at it now right so people are just trying like oh if i could say this right. or i know the area enough to maybe drop some hints if i can um, give you a little bit of, of a, cash right can i maybe yeah. get some of that reward it's a bit cynical but i mean it is what it is it, you know it really is one of those reported witnesses I want to talk about is Joseph Shans, who was driving the same dirt road in Paloma National Forest the same night on February 24th. He was checking out the area for a family trip. This was a totally different situation, potentially, right? I want to keep my my little mystery cap on tight and say maybe, as, uh, I don't know. Was this, I mean, what time of day was this? It's, it's night. 
nighttime, yeah. you know? So this is after 10 p.m. So this man's checking out. Why are you... What? I, no, that, this stands out to me hard. That is weird, dude. Yeah, People I, don't... That's not normal. It's People not don't normal. do that. So, like, this definitely stands out to me as strange. When I first heard about this case, I'm like, okay, cool. There's another guy. I just, like, you know, witness. I was, like, thinking to myself, too, like, okay, cool. Someone drove the route, you know during a similar time so mm -hmm. they would know like the conditions right. like pretty much to a T but then sure. it went hold on wait what why wasn't this like in the middle of the night right and then no 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 I'm just scouting? You know, checking it out for my family trip you what? know what <laughs> I, I guess he was Weird. checking it out prior like maybe leading up to this for a family trip so it didn't necessarily have to be that night but regardless it does seem a bit coincidental to be in this particular uh, I don't know you know unless this man's spending his own night up there and it's just, it, it, is, it is odd it I, it, it's just very strange to be in this particular location yeah, feels very past 10pm Yeah, but let's talk about Sean's because maybe there's something else there so Sean's car was also stuck in the snow and while trying to free it you know shoving it out of the snow himself he actually suffered the initial symptoms of a heart attack so he's off by himself he's having his own treacherous journey and he, and he says that he was having the early signs of, of a heart attack. So he stayed in his car late into the night. About six hours later, he then saw headlights coming towards him. Now, just to pause for a second, maybe this is why, you know, he was driving in the evening and this being stuck okay. in a heart attack All situation right. is what like, left him. Yeah, six hours later. I mean, that's a good chunk of time. But it, six hours could swing you easily from 4 a.m. to 12 to 10 p.m. Like, so yeah. when in the night, you know. Yeah. It, it is still worth kind of, you know, putting a pin in. But um, but again, we'll, we'll outline his situation a little more here. So he stayed in his car. About six hours later, he said he saw headlights coming from behind his car from a pickup truck different kind of car now a new vehicle entering the fray so now he's he's sitting in his car late at night stuck in the snow he sees this pickup truck roll up headlights silhouetted are a couple of people in these headlights that he can see right the conditions aren't great but this is what he says he saw now this group of people is standing in front of the car and he thinks he sees a, a woman amongst them also carrying a baby so now we have a lot of other things going on. A pickup truck, a woman, a baby. It's like this weird collection of people right. at this place at a, at a dangerous time and a weird time of night. You want to make it weirder for you? What? Okay, so he calls out for help, clearly, because he's in the throes of a potential heart attack. And he's calling for help. They stop their conversation, whoever these folks are. They turn off the car's headlights. What? And essentially disappear. They don't help him out or anything. I don't know if it's this same group or how this kind of correlates in reality, but the story continues from this from Joseph Shans, and he says that he then saw a group of five men walk past his car, not acknowledging him. Now, this is where I want to provide some levity. This is me thinking like, listen, if I got out into the snow, I was stuck in the snow at night, I start feeling like I was going to have a heart attack. I get in the car. I'm calling for help. These people are all over the place, not responding to me. I'm thinking I'm gone. I'm thinking I'm a specter of the night now yeah. that I have left this <laughs> earthly realm. Yeah. <laughs> just trying to reach to like these, these people and you're just not on the same plane. Right. So like he sees this group of people with flashlights and they're not responding to his calls for help either. So this what? guy... I, I don't know. What did if, this like, man do to get ignored so hard <laughs> by bro. so many different groups of people out in the middle of the woods? Maybe this. OK, on two fronts, this either says that because of his condition that he is perhaps seeing things, maybe not as they were, but uh, but God, kind of I, exacerbated I, I, by his condition or 
that there are more people in this area than we once kind of going into this mystery thought that there is more foot traffic, right. even in the night, even with the snow, like because of the campground. But the fact that they're all ignoring them is is wild. The first one I can see heavily more so than the second uh, group of people simply because there's a baby. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I just someone's saying help. Uh, like, deep in the woods that seems like a bait deep in the woods snowing like i'm sorry if you really need help like yell fire like blow a whistle. i i would i think i would drop my like jackie and my kid off yeah at like a restaurant at, i would probably call the, the end, police and then call the though. police and then see if we can get someone out there or whatnot and help facilitate that but in that moment no Neither no, not with my child with neither me. woman nor baby called the police, it seems, because like that would have really helped <laughs> this baby. case. Well, you know, you gotta share the blame. Well, you, you really do. <laughs> you grow up fast. You got kids. ten fingers, kid. You got ten fingers, you can dial quick. Now his condition seems to be getting a little bit better. Uh, after sitting in his car for quite some time, people coming and going, apparently. Now, once his pain was bearable enough, he braves the snow. He walks eight miles, thirteen kilometers if you prefer down the mountain pass to the lodge, passing the car, the Montego. Holy hell. Right. Eight so, miles? Eight miles. Oh, damn, eight miles. So this is just telling you just how far removed they are from any kind of semblance of consistent civilization. Now it's unknown for sure, kind of again, reflecting upon what Sean's was saying, if Sean's did in fact see the missing five uh, men that we are talking about in this case, but Weyer's mother said it would be very unlike her son in particular to ignore someone's calls for help. In fact, he had once in the past helped a stranger get to the hospital who was suffering from an overdose. So, you know, the, at yeah. least this particular individual Goes was not out of his way. Has, has a track record of helping strangers in need. So for and like that's a big time like story, too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not like a. Every time his friends fall right. down, he helps pick them up. Right? right, like it's not it's not super subtle. It's right. this person legit goes out of their way, takes time out of their day to help someone if they need help. Exactly. Which is, which you know, is, see someone on the side of the road suffering, yeah. they're going to help them. And so it, this is out of character again. God, I mean, but the flip side, there's the factor that there's four other people. Yeah. You know, like, hey, we got to go, or hey, we got to do this, or you shouldn't talk to. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's really tough because it becomes a. That person, saying like a that's his think? character, but at, at, at this point, it kind of becomes like a group decision, I would sure. think, right? Like, Well, I mean, first of all, we've already got situations that are out of character. Getting them there in the first place, this is, such is, this a, a, is this a continued pattern of being out of character? Or does this take away some credence from what Sean's is seeing that night? It's, it's very difficult to say, and it only gets more difficult to understand as this case kind of unfolds. I mean... As of right now, Sean's has no reason, or has given me no reason to think that he wouldn't be, tr- uh, like, untrustworthy. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, also, this is a person that is, you know, showing signs of a heart attack. So, at that point, like, good or bad, it's fight or flight, right? Sure. So, it's, it's survival. So, you're reaching out to anyone. Yeah. You're not worried about, like, I don't know lying or what it's like i'll take my chances right 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 if, if i feel like i'm having a heart attack and i'm stuck up in the damn woods mm-hmm. uh, anybody just get me out of this situation if i fall into another bad situation i gotta just try and work with it right during that moment in time but right now 
get help, talk to anyone, anything, right? Like, and get out of there. You know, so, we just like I like to uh, say, like it's hard. Like even if it's a bad person, right? Like you, you're putting a live or die situation. Like you just start reaching for anything, grasping certainly. for anything to survive. Certainly, so, like yeah. I mean, we are, you know, Rooster number one movie podcast, so I have to reference Dune here. The Benny Gesserit are saying, you know, a trapped animal will gnaw its leg off. So this guy and, and his dire circumstances are, is probably going to do anything to get some help. Yeah. But it's because of that situation, too, that a lot of people don't believe, don't don't lend too much credence to his claims because, you know, and, I, and it, it's tough to say, but in his pain and in his dire straits, he could have been delusional considering everything that was going on and so that could you know he could have been maybe seeing things or what he was interpreting as people could have been other things it, it's really tough to say i don't want to take away his story i can't i can't at all pull his trustworthy out of it but it is yeah. worth saying a lot of people started to question just because of the medical state he was in yeah um, i mean it's a big one for sure one of the big hitters is heart attack so right i just wonder if a heart attack causes delusion right like if that's something that yeah i don't know so, i mean he's like in the early stages like hallucinations yeah like yeah because if you're being delusional like because that's what i'm just going to read from my notes here a lot of people seem to be questioning or some seem to question the credibility of sean's story because he may have been quote delusional considering the state he was in and so yeah, I just, is it, that being frivolous it, it, with his state or is yeah. that being like, is that, yeah, that's a good question to ask. Like, I, I just, I'm just wondering because yeah. it just, it wouldn't surprise me, but that's just not something I off the top of my head having very little knowledge about right. this. Turns out you're not a doctor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. Um, but yeah, I just wouldn't associate them both with right. each other. So oh, I would yeah. learn something here today if that's the case. Oh, for sure. According to healthgrades.com, symptoms of left-sided congestive heart failure can include change in mental status or sudden behavior change, such as confusion, delirium, lethargy, hallucinations, and delusions. Gotcha. Oh, wow. Well, he certainly wasn't lethargic if he was walking eight miles in the <laughs> snow. But yeah. I mean, listen... Rooster Teeth's number one educational podcast is, is back right. on top, baby. Let's um, go start spinning the wheel. <laughs> I got to give us whatever number ones yeah. we can get. Where are we landing? And whatever blue ribbons I can scrape up. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, that's very interesting because I myself hadn't really kind of thought that those two states would go together. But, you know, it's, you know, it, it's interesting. I think it's just another one of these very, right. it's, it's one of the few flimsy threads of, story or evidence anecdotal evidence that we have so far and it's it's just another one of those vectors for making this so strange what is going on task force trevor collins here as always to talk to you about some housekeeping notes around red web i'll keep it nice and brief for you today uh, so as you know we have that youtube channel a lot of you have been subscribing to it liking those videos, commenting, engaging with us on there. So thank you so much for doing that. Uh, YouTube.com slash RedWebPod. If you want to check us out, a lot of people prefer their podcasts on various platforms. And we're finally on YouTube. We also have our Halloween special, if you haven't had a chance to watch that yet, where we do an on-site shoot. It's also, apparently, Christian, a face reveal. Christian's sitting here with me. We did a yes. face reveal for a lot of the people that only know us through Red Web. It is a face reveal, so yeah, go check it out. you get to see what they look like. <laughs> and you, Christian. <laughs> and um, we look like. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to check that out, it was a whole lot of fun. It was, again, it was a special one-off, but it's definitely us kind of 
uh, like the Raptors testing the fences, just trying to see how far we can expand this brand. Because uh, if we're going to do some more stuff, it's probably going to be on that YouTube channel. So it couldn't hurt to subscribe and be ready for it whenever that might happen. We'll let you know, obviously, but it could happen anytime. Uh, but with that said, I want to talk about some fantastic sponsors that we have for you today. Today's episode of Red Web is sponsored by Babbel. Learning a new language can feel intimidating. I remember when I first took Spanish and French way back in middle school, I was worried about all the memorization it was going to take. I thought it was going to take a whole lot of studying. A lot of stress comes with learning languages, especially if you're not raised on multi-languages. But thanks to Babbel, the number one selling language learning app, it can be fun, fast, and easy. Take all that stress, throw it away, download the app, because Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons for real-world use. That way, you know, you don't have to memorize nomenclature. Like, how often do you use a word like that, especially in, uh, in a different language? I downloaded the app. It's very easy to use. It's very aesthetically pleasing and modern. But uh, as you might know, I dabble with a little bit of the Francais. And so this is just a way for me to keep some of that language that I built up when I was younger uh, just sharper. Keep it utilitarian, as it were. And so it's been very nice and easy to use this app in order to do that. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. With Babbel, you can choose between 14 different languages and their speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and accent as well, which I think is very cool, especially if you're looking for a little bit of that immersion feel without needing to go to a totally different destination. Task Force, listen up. Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. That's six whole months of learning and feeling out a whole different language and sounding way smarter than your friends for the price of just three months. So go to Babbel.com and use code REDWEB. That'll let them know that you're part of the task force, that we got you know we got the deal for you. They'll slide in there. So B-A-B-B-E-L.com. That's how you're going to spell Babbel. And use promo code REDWEB. Let them know we sent you. Get three months for free with the purchase of three. Babbel, language for life. This episode of Red Web is also sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Task Force, I know you like to listen to podcasts, but would you like a new podcast to look forward to every single week? One that's entertaining and also informational? Then we recommend that you definitely check out our sponsor, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people from former FBI agents to scientists to mobsters to hostage negotiators and everything in between and gets them to share thought-provoking insights and never-before-heard stories. If you like what we do here at Red Web, I would recommend that you check out Jordan's recent interview with CoffeeZilla who exposes scammer gurus. There's also an episode with Frank Burasa who is the world's greatest counterfeiter. So there's a lot of really up-our-alley stuff, uh, Task Force. But point blank, Jordan Harbinger is smart, funny, easy to listen to, and that's why it was named Best of Apple Podcasts in 2018. You can't go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger show to your rotation. It's incredibly interesting, and there's never a dull show. So search the Jordan Harbinger show, that's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. With all that said, why don't we dive right back into this one, the cold, mysterious Yuba County Five. But we have another possible sighting from an employee of a store in Brownsville, which was 30 miles or about 50 kilometers south of the abandoned car. So this is quite a ways yeah, away. Yeah, that's a jeez. Um, yeah, so if you're thinking like, maybe did they walk 30 miles? Was this prior? Was this after? What have you? This employee claimed that four men, not five, 
came to her store in a red pickup truck. We got another pickup truck on the scene on March 3rd. So now we're really starting to scramble the variables here. So two of them, whom she believed to be Hewitt and Sterling. Sully. Go ahead. There was the original, the boys. There's the five, there's the five, the boys. Then there was the guy that drove up there. And there's a separate guy, Joseph Sean, Mm -hmm. that was experiencing a heart attack. There was a pickup truck that came up with people, one of them being a woman and a baby, Mm -hmm. turned off the lights, backed away. Mm -hmm. Then there was another truck that came up that with a group of men. And then five, the five men came walking by, walking by, walking by. And now we have a red pickup truck in the play. And so now we have a pickup truck again in play. Sean's only saw the one car, the pickup behind him. Right. But then he did see a group of people walking. Yeah. There's no second car with him. The only time he saw a second car, just to make this confusing, (laughs) was when he went on that eight mile trek, when he felt better. At that point, he saw the turquoise Montego. Right. Oh, she's yeah. Montego. That, that was like the boys' car. Yeah. Okay. Now we have a red truck. Mm-hmm. Days later. What the hell? Yes. Four men show up at this store. This woman sees them come to the store. And she, from her experience, from the descriptions, she sees that Hewitt, or who she believes is Hewitt and Sterling, are calling somebody in the phone booth. And then the owner of the store corroborated her story, and the police then took it seriously because of that, right? Yeah. The parents did, though, find it strange that any of them would be out and about skipping games that they were supposedly excited about if, again, this is March 3rd. This is days after they went missing. And they're calling. Well, I mean, if they're calling people on the phone, why aren't the family hearing from them? I Who mean, are they calling? At the, there's multiple things that come to mind, right? Uh-huh. At that point, it already happened. They okay. already missed it. Mm-hmm. Two... They're missing a member of their squad. Mm-hmm. If something happened and they're not calling people, they're not because they're trying to figure things out. They're not in that fear. To, they're kind of like, yeah, it's fear. It's scrambling. Like, just in case there's an accident that happened mm-hmm. or something mischievous happened, I'm not going to go to your parents and be like, hey, like I did this thing. I don't know. Like, maybe they're scrambling trying to figure stuff out. Yeah. Well, the last kind of piece of information with regards to this particular witness and story come from Hewitt's brother. So Hewitt, obviously the family know them very well. I'll say that one last time. His brother said that Jack, Jack Hewitt, hated using the phone, whether it would be a social anxiety thing or what have you. I totally sympathize, right? But he usually asked his brother to handle the call for him. So for example, I'll just make up a scenario. Fredo, if I didn't want to use the phone, I said, hey, could you order me pizza? You know, I just don't want to do that. It's a, it's a very common right. thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the fact that Hewitt and Sterling were the ones making this phone call kind of raised a flag for Hewitt's brother to say, well, that doesn't seem like an, it's another variable that is out of character for these individuals. And these stories, though, were considered credible enough to be taken seriously and thereby kind of only confuse the story uh, as far as from my take, from my angle. Yeah. I mean... Oh, this is this, this, this is just another thing where the family is like this is out of character. They wouldn't do such a thing. But I mean, I start thinking if they're in this very particular situation, maybe a situation they don't want to be in or they found themselves in. I mean, at that point, everything kind of goes off the table, right? Right. Like, anything can happen. Mannerisms can change. Like. You're very much in a you could they could be in a fear fearful situation like state 
Like, it's hard to say, it man. It changes. Like, like, the norms go right. out the window. Absolutely. If something big happened. This also drastically changes the search, by the way, because the search wasn't called off for another couple days, or several days even. So this being on March 3rd, 30 miles away from where the car is, drastically increases the area of search. Because if there's now a sighting of what could be the Yuba County 5 minus 1. But also, like, yeah, I mean, at this point... Just means they could be anywhere. Perhaps. Yeah, because the big thing... Especially if they're traveling in a car, right? Like, Yeah, because the big thing already, I was like, okay, it's in the woods somewhere. Mm -hmm. Good luck finding, you know, etc. But now they're back in civilization. So if they wanted to be found, they had access to a phone. They had Mm -hmm. access to people. Also, they could have just gone back to the car. Right. I mean... Once stuck, not always stuck. Ah, uh, weird. So how this pickup truck comes into play really just gets yeah, my where mind they get the wandering. Truck. And this is all based off of, right, the store clerk and the yeah. witness. And, I mean, it was also backed up by the store manager yeah. as well. But it's like, why would the both of them lie? You know what right. I mean? They, they think they're going to split the 2600 like, exactly uh, you can have one know. person lie but when you start adding the chain of like people connected to that person right. like a barrel monkeys is just like yeah. oh mm, it's it's easier to convince myself to do something but if i have to convince you then that you know amplifies it and then it's like oh it's convinced christian too as well it's like it's just hard right harder each step now what would be interesting to learn is based on their claims it seems that hewitt and sterling were two of the four Christian, do you know what the other two of the four would have been just from their descriptions? Do we know that information? Because I, regardless. Oh, like a physical description? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do we know like of the four, or excuse me, of the five gentlemen that went missing, we have supposedly Hewitt and Sterling on site. If we can figure out what the other two are, we we would then figure out who that fifth missing is. Because I want to put a pin in this because as we kind of unfold this case, there is a body that gets discovered. And if there is a, a lining up of this story with oh. the discovery, that would be interesting and could lend some credence to this. Yeah, I know that the uh, the descriptions of all five had been sent out after the disappearance, and that's why they recognized okay. uh, the, the oh, that's clerk right. was yeah. going off of, oh, that must be Hewitt and Sterling based off yeah, photos and yeah. descriptions. But, I, but you could also use that information to say... I'm just I'm just curious if they happened to if they made up this story, then they could uh, inadvertently said they saw the person who ended up being you know what I'm saying like I'm trying to align some some information here. Yeah, the fact that at that point it was just like I don't know televised or something, right? It's, uh. I think the most interesting thing here that I'm about to kind of dive into is that without knowing much about the case because it's March third. It's intriguing to me that they talked about four people coming to their station, their, their store, their gas station, what have you. Four people, not five, because of what I'm about to unveil because, with the discovery. Yeah, because you just, you said they you got a little, little they bit ahead. know about right, what's coming because in the next couple months. Because if they were lying, they'd be like, we saw all five, yeah. but they only saw four. So, oh, so, this juicy! So now I'm starting to think that maybe there is something to this, which is why Christian's diving into if we can figure Damn out it. what four were supposedly at this store. Yeah. Then we can be like, boom, got him. This was a real sighting. Yeah. And then we have some real wild was, stuff going on with the pickup truck. I was swerving back and forth with them. I was like, right. Right, what, what reasons and motives do they have to really lie? There's always the obvious ones and the more nefarious ones for sure. sure. But like, eh. And then 
Yeah, they saw four, but then they knew that these people were missing and what they looked like. But then again, <laughs> like back and forth and back and forth, back yeah. and forth, because now they know the exact number. Right. Oh, oh man, it's tough, man. You, it's I mean, tough. You, you've got to think that they saw them. Mm-hmm. If, if we're going to, you know, get get into it in a second, there was a body that was discovered. You got to think at this point like that, that gives a lot more credit to that story. Right. Yeah, it's hard to not approach these this whole case with skepticism just because of all the unknown variables. But um, healthy level of skepticism, I think, might help us figure some stuff out here. It's interesting. I'm reading a, a scan of a, a newspaper article. It's very tiny. <laughs> I see he's got his laptop <laughs> to his face like a phone. <laughs> According to this article, uh-huh. this actually says that the... Hang on. <laughs> Get this man a magnifying glass. Truly. This is like those, this is the time in the movie where they're scanning through at the library and you hear the ka-chunk, ka-chunk as they look at all the old articles in the uh, computer. <laughs> Dude, those movies have like, it's a lot of times I'll watch a movie and I go, wow, look at them. The lawyers doing the lawyer things or, um, you know, they're searching through the library and whatnot. And I'm just like, thank God this is a movie because that is like forever. It's so just tedious, right? Right. You're just like. Oh man, I'm a lawyer doing hot chat lawyer things, but it's like, no, they're probably working on that for right. like hours, hours days. and hours and days and just oh, papers man. and looking and we just get skimmed over. I'm just like, no, that's hard work right there. Oh yeah. Being a PI sounds really cool, but also very tedious. Yeah. So it's interesting. You know, the, the research we had done said that the woman saw four people. Mm-hmm. Got a little more info on that. She'd what? seen flyers that had been distributed with men's pictures and information about the the reward. So this says that she saw four people, but this article that I'm reading from the newspaper says that she actually saw five people <gasps> at the store. It says... Conflicting information. Got to get our sources and together. We got a newspaper saying one thing. We got uh, like reliable sources on on the online saying other things. It's a mystery. Like, it's never that easy. Never that easy. She says it says here that she made the sighting 2 p.m. February 25th, so the the day after their supposed disappearance. What's this March 3rd business? She saw them on the 25th, but she did not report it until March 3rd after the reward poster gotcha. with the pictures. Gotcha. So she, when she, I might have misread the notes here. She claimed that they came to the store and that claim was made on March 3rd. Not that she saw them on March 3rd. Correct. She saw them the day after, but she Got just didn't it. tell them right. until Got March it. 3rd. Yeah. According well, to hey, this we're article. live fact checking. This is just <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, that's what happens when you're not, I mean, we're not investigators. We're, we are just normal enthusiasts yep. looking into these mysteries, looking asking questions. Scratch the surface. Absolutely. And, I mean, because not infallible we, this by would, any means. This would be our full time job. <laughs> oh my God. Checking exactly. Everything. Well, like you were just saying, the hours and hours and days of just exploring, researching. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we do our best to collate the information available to us from trustworthy sources, but that's why we have you gut checking and asking questions. I mean, right that's up? the thing, too, though. It's just like, then we talk about how history just gets thrown and passed around right. from word right. of mouth to word of mouth to word of mouth. I mean, that's just how it is with these mysteries too one article says one thing and then you go well that's it because it's a news article like mm-hmm. that's pretty solid to like to like trust and then you look at another news article it says a different thing and you go okay wait what like how right. does this line up yeah right i'm inclined to maybe believe more on this newspaper if it's a scanning Same. from that time because yeah. there's less time 
less variables between the reporting and the action of what's being reported. I agree. Yeah, this is from the LA Times dated March 10th, 1978. So this was a week after she went to the authorities on it. Yeah. Not too long after. Week. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's right there. Yeah, it says she saw the... It was a red 1960s model pickup around 2 p.m. February 25th. Uh, She says... Two men were in the pickup truck. Two men were at the telephone booth outside, and there was a fifth person in the store. She says, quote, I noticed them because they didn't look from this area, and you make strangers around here. Or you right. no- and you notice strangers around So here. if it's a small town, they're inclined to kind of know everybody, and you see people, more familiar faces. Interesting. And she specifically mentioned that she believed... He, he does have his chin deep in his laptop. For, it is, <laughs> if I he mean, sounds distant, like, that's what at, it is. Look at this tag. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> so small. It is. Oh, my God. <laughs> Download that and Smaller. enhance it or something. Jeez. Really smaller than an ant. And, I mean, it if you blow it up, it's only going to get blurry. So. That's true. You ever see okay. the chin on a trackpad? Because I've seen it right <laughs> never, here. This man's staring right at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. According to this article... It says that she specifically identified Hewitt as the one who was in the phone booth. Gotcha. Okay, so that that part of the story still stands, regardless of our misdelivery, our misunderstanding, regardless, Hewitt and him being the one in the phone booth is what stands out as out of character per Hewitt's own brother, the man who did take calls and make calls on his behalf. So... All right, so I'm really happy we dove into that to kind of kind of reshuffle that information yeah. to really offer some clarity here. And the fact that it was the day after and the pickup truck is still in play uh, doesn't really change the fact that this is still really strange, especially when that is corroborated with Joseph Sean's story, because I feel like at that time they wouldn't have heard his take because it was happening within the 24 hours, right? right? Yeah. So... What's really interesting is this pickup truck and the fact that now the five are in this pickup truck together, unless some of these other five individuals are are the group that Sean saw that like, wasn't the, them. Like it, it's what are the reasons behind? Like I ditched the car, then you have a pick. Uh, what? It's I weird. I think what we'll do is maybe uh, table some of these curiosities for the theories in, in yeah. the second part. Yeah. But because I want to, I want to dive into this next chapter on the discovery because. Again, deeply fascinating mystery, but only gets stranger, I think, from here. It feels like the more we think we know, the less we actually know is is really what's going on. So let's flash forward to June 4th. This is almost four months after the initial disappearance of the Yuba County Five. There was a group of motorcyclists who found an abandoned Forest Service trailer with a broken window. They're just kind of perusing, I guess, just cruising. And they they see this trailer that's abandoned, has a broken window. So they go, well, let's check this out. This trailer was located at the Daniels Inc. campground towards Bucks Lake. There was a large main trailer and several smaller trailers around it. So most sources that we found say that the trailer was 19 miles or 31 kilometers from where the Montego was left. But in a 2020 book called Out of Bounds, author Drew Beeson found that on foot, it would have been more like 11 miles or 18 kilometers if they were following the roads. So, you know, again, this is where we see that our sources are a little bit conflicting, but that's where I want to be transparent about it, is that it seems that it's it was initially reported as 19 miles from the car, this trailer, but maybe it was more like 11. Anyway, 
he found that the exact distance between the car and the trailer was actually 5.6 miles. Coming back to the bikers, though, and this trailer, uh, the bikers noticed a strange smell coming from the main trailer, and oh, that's no. why they kind of went to investigate. Not just the, the broken window or anything. You might you might see a broken window in, a, in an abandoned trailer and go, whatever. But, yep. but the smell is what really drew their attention. But man, I want to pause just for a second because I need to take a breath because this is really where things start to get... I mean, we knew it was dark going into this, but I yeah. think this discovery just kind of solidifies it and solidifies how kind of morbid this this mystery is, but also just like really grounds it in reality a little bit. So anyway, in this trailer, upon investigating, they found a body covered with eight bed sheets with its feet exposed. They had found Ted Weyer, who had appeared to have succumbed to exposure and starvation. When analyzing the body later on, it seemed that Ted was 80 pounds lighter and that his feet were severely frostbitten. Also among the things in the room was a pair of shoes. These shoes belonged to Gary Mathias. Weyer had also grown a beard, leading investigators to believe that they had actually stayed there for about 8 to 13 weeks. So this isn't just like a, they went missing in the night and, and this came to the conditions. Like, however things went down, you know, he stayed alive long enough, or the group perhaps stayed alive long enough to lose upwards of 80 pounds and grow a beard indicative of 8 to 13 weeks of Wait, growth. how much longer... Was the time between the missing and the bikers finding this place? This is about four months after, on June 4th. Oh, okay. They went missing towards the end of February. Wow. And the search ended towards the beginning, maybe middle of March um, on the 9th. So it really just like, I just have a lot of sympathy for the situation that they were probably in. Like it's a, I, I can't imagine the emotional toll that the parents might have felt yeah. upon this revelation, knowing that, you know, I, there's no good way that this could have gone. Right, yep. if they still weren't discovered, but yeah. just knowing that they were making do in this abandoned trailer, it seems, is just very morbid. But these Forest Service trailers contained ample food and supplies, which, which, which is probably how they were able to at least sustain themselves. But it would have been enough for the five to stay alive and well for months. Some would say even years, depending on how you Rationalize shook it out. It, yeah. So Rationalize that's it. just another reason why this was so strange. Some of the cans had been opened with an Army P-38 can opener, which only Madruga and Matthias would have been known to have on their person. No fire had been lit in the fireplace. The propane tank wasn't used at all. It was still full or at least in the condition that seemed untouched. There were extra warm clothes that remained in the trailer's storage, and there was a locker that contained even more food that had not been opened. So immediately, I'll pause on my notes here because it makes me think that they either didn't know about this, that this wasn't the place that they had stayed for those weeks, or otherwise, if they had stayed there for weeks, it's strange that they didn't look into some of the storage in this building because they had warmer clothes. Yeah. They had There was storage food or food stored away at least, right? How? And they had a can opener because there were open cans. So it's it's just very confusing as to what might have gone on here. And this is- Who has a can opener on them? Do you mind looking up, Christian, what this Army P-38 can opener might look like? Because if it's part of a Swiss Army knife, oh, I can yeah, see that. Yeah, that would make sense. And and if it seems like in character for Matthias or Madruga in particular to have that on their then person, you, then I, I can see that. You know, that. I think we all have a friend, you know, that right. always has a knife on them. 
Whoa, that's pretty hardcore. Um, yeah, you can you can just easily carry something like that around. Yeah, it's sure. it's uh, for those who are more visually inclined. I think we can post that on our Twitter page. In addition to maybe that news article, if 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 it's worth posting, because it's just very hard to read. But um, yeah, I guess it looks like a bit of a a short blade yeah. pocket knife yeah. that comes out halfway with um, which to cut the can. I would I would think that. They got how wait, how many bodies are found? Two? One. One. They found the shoes of someone. They found evidence of opening cans from another one or two. And then they found the body of another. So we're seeing evidence of this group having been here. The fact that shoes are left behind is a bit odd, but one body is found underneath a couple layers of sheets with the feet still remaining out. This is a very confusing sit like set up to stumble up on um because you, you'd think that I, I would say that they stumbled upon this place very late into the game mm -hmm. because there wouldn't be food there they had the means to open these cans mm -hmm. so why would they why would they just leave food on the table and decide to pass it you know what i mean it's very strange like it's it's weird also like why would they not just stay there because it's shelter and food mm -hmm. Oh, man. It could have been, you know, and again, we'll get into some of the more theories, theorizing and noodling on um, in the next part. But you're right. It, it is very odd. And it stood out to authorities at the time as to perhaps why they didn't explore the other foodstuffs or the warmer clothes, perhaps why they left. And that could be addressed by a couple factors like maybe at this point in time, uh, somebody succumbed to the conditions and they wanted to go out and get help. But it is worth noting, though, with Ted Weyer being the one that was found who had succumbed to exposure and starvation, Weyer's parents weighed in on the situation saying that this behavior was in fact in character to not have explored the other foodstuffs and opened up things because, and maybe it's it's as simple as that they weren't theirs. They weren't owned by them and they didn't want to dig into to what they could have thought of were other people's goods. And so they tried to make do with whatever they personally had on them only, but, but you but know. To the point where you die to the point where they die yeah like, i don't know in that situation they could have been worried I'll, about stealing I'll and i pay can, you back like i'm dying maybe, here maybe and but this is a situation where again you know yeah. this group might have just and and the, uh, the police kind of tended to agree with the parents and that they could have thought that they were stealing and they they you know we don't know exactly the situation that they were dealing with they were off the beaten trail they were in an unfamiliar territory for unknown reasons, and now they're in an unfamiliar building with things that if if I stumbled upon a chest full of food, I could think one of two things. One, that this is just storage in an abandoned place that had been here, or two, that someone actively resides here, and I'm going to wait it out until they come back. And by digging into their foodstuffs, maybe I am, am stealing from this person that they might rely on. And so... Like, the kind-hearted nature of these folks might have been what led to this unfortunate downfall, right? And when someone passed away, maybe the others then left to then continue looking for help or something. I mean, again, that's a very deliberate decision to it just is. be like, you know what? I'm going to starve to death so I don't steal from someone. Like, I'd be like, man, I'll replace it tenfold. I will take right. you out to dinner like i mean you know, i wouldn't I even think make, about paying people back at that point yeah if you're i will on that i will make situation. it up to you like yeah i'm gonna die here right I just for i don't it's uh, 
for five people to say like, no, we're not going to touch this food because we don't want to steal. We'd rather die. That's that's a hard pill to swallow. It's, it is pretty hard. Yeah. It's tough, you know. Um, but with the discovery of Weyer's body, obviously the search began again, this time focusing on this specific area near the trailer. And subsequently, on June 6, just a few short days later, the bodies, unfortunately, of Madruga and Sterling were found five miles, eight kilometers south of the trailer. Madruga still had the car keys on him, and Sterling's remains were spread over the area by animals, supposedly, along with his wallet. So, you know, nature takes its course when when someone yeah. is found, passed away, and, and nature, it's, it's bound to happen, right? But it appears that the two men grew fatigued and also died from exposure trying to reach the trailer. So it seemed like they were coming back to the trailer from where? That's a good question. It's yeah. still hard to know. But when looking at the situation, the police believed that Madruga collapsed and that Sterling may have stayed with him instead of continuing forward to the trailer. So you can tell here oh. that there is a lot of empathy in this group, not only for each other, but for others' personal belongings, perhaps to a fault. Um, but, you know, perhaps they're not thinking that far down. Maybe, perhaps they're just thinking about the emotion and the feelings in the moment, you know? Damn. That's... That's sad. It's very sad. And the next day, on June 7th, a member of Hewitt's family found the clothes and later the remains of Hewitt himself. This was two and a half miles or four kilometers northeast of the Forest Service trailer. So we have the trailer with somebody in it. We have two bodies five miles south and yeah. we have yet another body two and a half miles kind of upwards northeast, kind of spread around this, this location. Nearby, investigators found service blankets and flashlights, so it is believed that they were in the trailer at some point because they had some of the yeah, equipment from the this. Yeah, from there. Unfortunately, though, the fifth member, Gary Mathias, was never found. And that kind of ends the story of the Yuba County Five. There is still yet a lot of information and a lot of theorizing left to be done, but again, this is a very dense and sad case and so we will be again splitting this into two parts so we can give uh, the proper credence to the theories and uh, give a proper discussion on that but um but yeah i think this is up there with one of my favorite cases we've ever done yeah there's there's mystery right as and you get the satisfaction unfortunately um that you know what happened to these people mm -hmm. um but there's still the mystery of Where's the one person, most likely? Somewhere they also fell and succumbed to the elements. Um, but there's the big question of why. Why were they up there right. without proper gear? Like, deciding to walk into... I mean, if it's it, obviously very dangerous weather, and you just openly decide to walk up there. Like, right. to what reason? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really fascinating case. It's it's very morbid, I, I do admit, but like, the the fact is, you know, despite having some of the end steps, as it were, we know where some of the mystery ends, we just don't know so much about how it got there, right? And that's yep. what, just like, it's so morbidly fascinating because you, it, it, it's one thing to know for for the family members what happened in the end, right? And to have closure in that way. But it's another thing to know why. 
and like and, and to know what went on behind the scenes right and it's and again that's what that's what we're going to kind of explore with the theories but it's a very fascinating episode and i can see why you know people would compare it to another deeply fascinating winter mountainous themed topic of yeah. um Dyatlov pass Dyatlov pass yeah but yeah I, uh, I want to kind of open it up to the task force at this time. I, I kind of talked about it in the beginning, but if you guys have theories, I know you, it's going to be hard to wait another week, but if you guys have theories, um, you know, and, and you send those to us, uh, we record these theories episodes in advance, but I would still be very interested to hear from you all, uh, whether it be on Twitter or in the comments section or even at our email address, redweb at roosterteeth.com. Like what kind of theories you guys are starting to think from the information we've outlined thus far. Um, if you're interested in seeing the maps and kind of the layout of everything we've discussed, as always, hit up our Twitter page at RedWebPod, where we'll post the maps and a couple other key images for your sake, so that way you can have uh, some of that imagery. Yeah, it makes uh, it really easy to follow along, Yeah, especially for people like me that are more visual, Yeah, to and be if, able to like look and be like, okay, it's that line leading that way. Right, exactly. Yeah, for sure. It's... It's a nice extra piece to have. Right. And if you also want, if you want that visual piece, I know this is mostly an audio podcast, but we do have our youtube.com slash redwebpod and roosterteeth.com and the app where you can watch where we, when we have those relevant visuals, they yeah, do they kind pop of pop up, up there. Yeah. But otherwise, mostly kind of static imagery there. But anyway, uh, that this has been the Yuba County 5 story, as it were, the missing, the discovery, the investigation and everything. And uh, we can't wait to kind of dive into the theories and some of the other information that goes with those theories next one. week. But man, do you have any uh, gut check, gut instincts that you want to kind of talk about before we uh, take a break for a week? I mean, I really, I'm, I'm pulled apart on this one. Mm -hmm. I really am. Because like, even if there's like thoughts of foul plates, again, there's five of them, right? right? Like, and as far as I know, we haven't, there hasn't been any like uh, bruises or cuts or scars or anything on the body. Right. Is it like, like what foul play with words, like, <laughs> like harsh language? Like, so I don't, I just don't know. Right. Right. Because, you know, we still, we're still missing one person, but I, there's one of these, it's a beautiful case in the sense that it is, it gives me that feeling where it's mostly solved, but there's still that, right. Or that's that satisfaction of like, okay. We have found the bodies, uh, most of four out of five, and it feels mostly solved. But there's a little bit left, or just like why? Yeah, why? Like we know how it starts, there? we know how it ends, but man, yeah. what, what what happened to to be there in that moment to sh to watch what was going down? Like, oh my goodness! I think it's that. I mean, and that's the whole like premise of this podcast is the unknown, right? But I think it's it's the unknown of this case in particular that really gives me the chills. You know what I mean? Um, like it had to have been a really good reason. It was out of the way. So it's not like I decided to take a left turn. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I was there. It's like you had ample time to sit with this decision to get to that location. So yeah. Let, let's wrap with like, I'll, yeah. I'm just going to fire off from my head, just like for the audience and, and they're theorizing. Like we have people that are dedicated, passionate about college basketball. They have their own game coming up the next day. They go way off the beaten path, way beyond the paved road where their car would be suitable. We have another party who supposedly sees a pickup truck and yet another group of people before seeing these five men continuing to act out of character. Then suddenly another pickup truck, if not the same one, shows up the next day 
with only the five, no baby, no, no woman with them. And then they were kind of at in civilization at that point because they're at a store. And, uh, but those are the only witnesses we have. And then suddenly we're back in the mountainous areas. This pickup truck is yet nowhere to be seen. Uh, they're at this uh, trailer. And unfortunately, a couple of them had succumbed. Most of them at that point had succumbed to the conditions or to starvation. And then a fifth one is missing and yet to be found. And so it's just so much going on. And there's so many variables that I think are just completely missing that this puzzle is nigh impossible to put together with the known yeah. info. I've got to scratch but, the, wow. the, um, the, what was it, the little grocery store? Or whatever uh-huh. it is. Or, yeah, the convenience store, I believe. The convenience store. I got to scratch that off. Just because of the fact that it just seems, it's quite baffling to me to think that they would be up there, then come down to civilization and head back, then head back. But then where's that pickup truck? And then is, and then, then is Gary with that pickup truck? Like, it doesn't, it man. makes no sense. It's, it's a wild one, twisty turning, right? Like, they, they were in harsh conditions, uh, putting their life on the line. Then we're safe and went. Let's go do it again. What? What? Yeah. I got, now I'm thinking. I, I now I'm thinking they borrowed someone's truck so they could navigate the snow. They brought it back to those people. But then, who are those people? And why didn't they? Sing? My my mind's I, coming up with all of these narratives that are otherwise just made up. I just right? don't, don't try and. I just like, don't think the convenience store it adds it adds really? way too many loose like really? loose threads for me. Yeah, I have to scratch that off for me. Just makes no damn sense. <laughs> well, again, this has been the Yuba County Five. We'd love to hear from you, Task Force. But with that said, we're going to leave you with a little bit of intrigue. I know, cliffhanger. But we'll see you next Monday, Fred. I'll see you right back here to talk about the theories of the Yuba County Five and how maybe, maybe this all went down. See you then. I'll be here.